This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Well, what's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your host, Kenny, here, back at it with another solo sode. Let's go. I hope everyone's having a fantastic start to their weekend. You know, you guys are all probably wondering where Omid is again. Like I said last week, if you haven't tuned in to last week's episode, we are full switching on the full switch. And we're wanting to provide, you know, more of our own personalized personalities and pilot that to see how you're enjoying the show. And what we're going to be doing is we will be bringing Omid on. He's coming back next week. Both of us will be back at it. But we want you to see a little bit of, you know, who I am personally in the studio and who Omid is as well. So uh, we look forward to hearing your feedback on that. And there's no better way to do so, listeners, than to go on to WhatsApp, you know, because who doesn't have WhatsApp nowadays? And message us at 780-566-0904. Give us your feedback. Give us some love. Give us some criticism. Give us some questions. You know, let us know how we're doing. And you know what it is. If you've been following us since day one here on Full Switch, we bring on aspiring leaders, people within the community that, you know, we truly believe personally are leading their best life both personally and professionally so that, you know, you can go home with some tips and you could go home with some ideas on how you could do the same in your life. And, um, you know, today I'm personally super excited to bring on Uh, You know, a very special guest that I know through, um, you know, our community, his name is Nitin Bhatia, and he's our leader of the week. And Nitin is somebody who actually, uh, you know, came to me for personal training. This was, uh, you know, just over about a year and a half ago. And it was so funny because Nitin has such a witty personality. He's one of the, the smartest people I know. But then you're going to really see when Nitin gets excited about something, you really get to see um, him light up a little bit. And I remember in some of our training sessions, Nitin here would, um, he'd say, you know what, Kenny, like we, we got to call, we got to call my, uh, my personal training journey something. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm open to ideas. Like, what, what are we calling this? And he's like, you know what, bro? We're calling this Operation Fat Loss. <laughs> and he said that. For those of you who don't know Fat, it's like Operation Fat Loss, you know? So he really wanted to get rid of, uh, you know, some some midsection weight. He wanted to be able to increase um, how he looks as far as posture goes. And we are really able to do that for him. And, you know, for those of you who don't know who Nitin Bhatia is, he, he had a bio ready. And if you know that when someone has a bio ready to go, you know that, you know, they, they've got some sort of reputation. And uh, I just wanted to be able to share who our leader of the week is. So let us go into it. Nitin will be coming in right at around 6.30 to share a lot of hot topics with us. But before we do so, let's get the hang of really knowing who he is. Um, Nitin is a born and raised Edmontonian. He's one of the founding partners of SBLLP. And he's the team lead of their corporate commercial group. So Nitin actually has a practice which is highly focused on transactional files, both in the corporate securities and banking sector and the commercial real estate sector. He is regularly involved in mortgage financing, leasing, development work. His experience has led him to work with clients that include land developers, retail, hospitality complex developers, 
major financial lenders, smaller-scaled private lenders, chartered bank and credit unions, and the members of the Alberta Real Estate Association. This is just like the first bit of his bio. I'm going to share more once we uh, you know, get him on the show, but it just goes to show just how much Nitin is involved in, um, especially as a practicing lawyer when you know this is someone who's brought his firm in the span of 12 years from four people all the way to 42 people in that time frame. Uh, as far as scaling goes when you're building a team, that is very impressive. Uh, we want to talk about some social issues, you know, especially with younger lawyers um, who are currently, uh, you know, struggling with uh, retention and, and other things of that like. And uh, giving personal examples of needing to make a major change um, to become and feel more fulfilled. So we're actually going to get personal and share what some of that looks like in my life right now. And uh, we're going to segue into growing a larger firm and talk about goal setting. So definitely tune in at 6.30. We're going to switch things up with some good music for you guys tonight. And I'm going to start off with this one, uh, an Ojala on top. We will be back and let's get it. Thank you. The podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. My name is Kyle, and I'm the host of Putting It Together. From a very early age, I've been obsessed with musical theater, and in particular, I've adored the music of composer Stephen Sondheim. So I decided to create a podcast where I invite on a new guest each week and go through each one of his productions, show by show, and song by song. You'll learn about theater history, you'll laugh, maybe cry, but always, you'll be swept up in the music. It's called Putting It Together, and it's available anywhere you get podcasts. All right, and we're back. It's your host, Kenny, here. I, you know what? I got to tell you one of those, like, full switch moments I had this past week, fam. It was um, it was one of those things that there's, there's a beautiful end to this story. You know, and I, I'm going to just right off the bat share the lesson so you know that there's actually something that um, I feel like not only myself, but uh, you as my listener can benefit from where no matter how much planning you put into something that you want to, to, to happen and unfold so beautifully, it can never really go the way you would expect it to go. And it was just another reminder for me to, to just... First of all, go with the flow. Second of all, um, not be too hard on myself. And thirdly, just, I mean, just realize to not be so hard on yourself and, and know that when you're ready to say or do something, then uh, don't hold back, you know? So this is what happens. I make a call, right? And uh, let me just tell you right off the bat what I wanted to do. I wanted to finally have the confidence and have the willpower to tell who I'm seeing that I love them. You know, like full transparency. I wanted to go and uh, make something out of this situation and do it right. And, um, you know, make things uh, with them official and, and, and go about it that way, right? So what happened was I called Guru, right? I called Guru Restaurant. I'm thinking, you know what, fancy Indian restaurant, right? And uh, me and whom I'm seeing, we were supposed to go there on our on our first date. It ended up working out, right? We ended up, you know, doing something else. And we said, if we make it, we'll go and we'll have dessert. So what ended up happening was all these months that have gone by, we actually never ended up having Indian dessert. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to go there. We'll have some dessert. 
and uh, we're gonna eat some golkape. And if you don't know what golkape are, golkape is like this nice, like uh, it's like how can I explain this? It, it's like a ho- hollow, hard shell Indian treat. And you just, you know, like you just dab a little hole in it. Like you, you, you just stab at it. It's like fun food that you can actually eat with your hands. And if you're Indian, you know this. We love eating with our hands. And we poke a little hole in it and you put like this little spicy juice in it. Like really spicy juice. And, and you eat it. And we were, we were going to have that at Guru Restaurant. And we were going to see who can eat the most Golgapi. So anyways, we, I make a call. And I call Guru. And this nice guy named Shamsher. Shamsher answers the phone. I give him the full lowdown of what I'm going to do. I'm saying, hey, we're going to eat Golkape. You know, I'm going to confess my love for who I'm seeing. I want to make this like straight out of Bollywood. Let's go all in. And Shamsher's like, no problem, Kenny. This sounds amazing, man. Let's do it. And what ends up happening was that day we had a full pivot, right? We didn't end up going, you know, just things changed she wasn't feeling too well so it's like obviously you know we're not gonna go to a restaurant if that's the case but let's just hang back let's do something else so i i'm telling you man i felt so bad when i called the guru restaurant and shamshed answers and i'm like shamshed man it's kenny what's up and you know what he tells me he says to me he's like kenny we are so excited to see you we have the gold cup they're waiting we have the chef preparing 100 gold cup it's going to be good <laughs> I felt so bad. I had to be like, Shamshed, please wait. Hold the excitement. I'm so sorry, but we can't make it. Like, there's no way we're possibly going to be able to make it. But I promise you, I am coming back and I'm telling my radio station that everybody should go to Guru and order some Golkape to make up for this this tragedy, right? Like, I felt so bad. And, you know, I could hear in his voice, he was a little bit gussa, he was a little bit sad. But I'm a man of my word. I'm going back to Guru Restaurant downtown. If you get the chance to go, ask for Shamshed and say, listen, man, we're here for some Golgapi. And, you know, what ended up happening was instead of doing that, the, the irony of all this is, as you notice, every week I give certain events and I give certain tips on things you should do in the week. And I realized that that was a perfect pivotal moment for us to, instead of going there, let's go to Elk Island. Never been there. And we'll go there. We'll look at the stars. Tujja romance. And we, we went there. And you wouldn't even believe it. it. It happened so perfectly. Like nothing could more could have happened better than this. We go all the way. And there was like this bonfire. And, you know, I didn't plan it. It just happened to be there. So we sit down, we see the beautiful stars last week. If any of you got the chance to see this, it was, it was like top notch. We're looking up at the stars and then uh, right then and there, I said, hey, you know, look up. And then I said, close your eyes. And then, you know, I said, make a wish. So we made a wish. And then I looked at her and then, oh man, like my heart was racing. And then she could kind of tell what I was about to say. And I said the big three words. I did it right in that moment, and I would have never realized that day it was going to go down like that. And it just goes to show, right? Like, you could think in your head of how something's going to happen and how it unfolds. But, you know, in, in retrospect, you look back, and to be honest, it, it couldn't have happened more perfectly. I um, I really feel bad for Shamshir, and I really hope I didn't waste any of his goods. But, you know, he has my word that I'm going back, and I felt like, I don't know, I just... I couldn't have felt happier. And 
I think the craziest thing about this that like finally made me realize that I have to say it soon enough was, you know, big shout out to my brother. He ended up saying like, man, like when you feel something towards somebody, like if, if you love someone, tell them. Like, like why, why hold back? And if you're in a similar, if you're in a similar situation as me, or if you feel like you don't say enough, then you know what? When we have our break, you should pick up that phone and you should tell that person you love them. And uh, it's just one of those things that for me, I don't know about you, but when I said that, I felt a load off my shoulders. I felt amazing. Um, it, it, it just, it, it felt great to tell someone you feel that way about them, you know, and uh, yeah, that was full switch, you know, and I'm going to look back at that moment and I'm never going to forget it. So uh, not to be so senti for five minutes, but uh, I really wanted to share that with everybody. And you know what? We are going to come back and I am going to uh, talk a little bit about your life being related to a reality TV series. Great stories are timeless. To be a great storyteller, one must bridge the gap between an alluring narrative and the audience, to pull with the heartstrings, and to shape the imagination. At Q Films Media, we're more than just a media production agency. We are a powerhouse of creative individuals, content creators, who specialize in telling great stories. Stories that are intimate and kept closest to the heart. Stories that are powerful and inspiring, that spark boldness and action. We are Q Films Media. We're here to tell your story. We are always unseen. Anji, hello. What's up, guys? We are back and we have Nitin joining us in just short of a few minutes. Um, once again, we had these malfunctions last week and uh, you should see how it went down today because I can't be more grateful for my boy Omid when he's in here and when I have to go get a guest. Nitin, our guest for the day and leader of the week, he said he's outside and this has already happened a couple times. So like note to self, I have to be a little bit more creative when I'm explaining to our guests where the door is. And so... Of course, I put on the song, I put on our ads, I book it outside, right? I probably got like three minutes. So I feel like I'm like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, right? Like, down. So I go outside, I book it, I'm running, and I just obviously want to come back in time. And then I'm looking for Nitin, and he's not there. So I call him, and he's actually on the other radio entrance side. So... Just to give you an idea for Edmontonians listening, our studio is in West Edmonton Mall. So, of course, everyone is going to the right radio station, but everyone's going to, like, the glass area. You know, they're thinking that's the entrance, when in reality, you got to go through the back entrance, right? So I put my shoe there just to make sure he could come in, right? So he'll come in at any minute. But in the meantime, I wanted to talk to everyone about something. And I'm actually, like, low-key inspired by this. On the way here... Um, my Spotify was on shuffle and I clicked next and of course coach Pammy's podcast was on coaches don't play 
And uh, I'm just listening to the first 15 seconds. And if you guys don't realize, Coach Pammy, really worth listening to. Um, she's a guest that we had on before. Her and I are actually low-key related. She's like my Masi's cousin's sister's, Fulferji's brother's son's daughter. Well, well, not exactly, but like you know what I mean. She's some sort of family member. But anyways, Coach Pammy um, was talking on a radio about the the what's it called about a reality tv show and there's this one they were talking about that was a video i saw on tiktok and it was referring to this guy a sardarji who runs this uh almost like this jewelry shop of some sort um or like this like just this shop with his family excuse me and it was funny because I saw a video where he was saying that an order came in and the whole family was going crazy. They're like, Dad, what, did you, what do you mean this order came in? We've got clients. We've got things to do. And uh, it got me thinking, right? It makes me want to ask you a question. If your life was a reality TV show, first and foremost, what aspects would you want to be like really showcased? Like what parts of your life would you want to have like, like out there? And what would be the parts that you wouldn't want to show, you know? And what would it be rated? That's the thing. That's what really caught my gears turning when I was on the way here thinking about what to say in the solo zone. And you know what's funny? I get this a lot at work, right? So in my management position, I have 13 personal trainers under me at Good Life right now. And I've gotten this more than once. And I'm going to give you my answer while you're thinking about yours. But obviously, like, if there's something that I think would be really funny and just entertaining would be if, if a camera followed me around at work at some points. And it's because, I'm just going to say it, a lot of my team members say I remind them of Michael Scott. And there's a part of me that gets really happy because I watch The Office and I'm like, yo, Michael Scott is the best. He's funny. He's hilarious. But, like, does it just end there? Like, is that where I need to question what my staff says and be like, am I? Is it just because they think I'm like Michael Scott? Like, should I take that as a compliment or should I take that as, you know, maybe like I, I do I should I be like Michael Scott? You know what I mean? So it got the gears turning for sure, and uh, it makes me want to ask you, you know, if, if, if you don't mind sharing with me, you guys know how I felt about this last week, you know, talking to a mic, being alone in a room, it makes you feel a little crazy, especially when you're starting off, but if you don't mind going on the WhatsApp and, you know, sharing with me what part of your life would be something you'd want to document on reality TV, you can share that with me at 780 780- Five six six zero nine zero four, and um, I just feel like we're in this like reality TV craze uh, era right now, right? Like all these Netflix specials, uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, right? There's like people are entertained by watching other people's lives, but uh, you know me, I'm gonna put a lesson attached to this. Full switch is if if you're watching so much reality TV or just TV in general. I would do a little bit of just a reality check and go, what's not so entertaining about the life I'm living to just hit the power button off and keep enjoying the life that I have to live? You know, like, I'll be honest, something that I noticed myself is I've actually, I used to watch a lot of TV and now I I, I don't watch much of all of TV, right? I watch a comedy special here and there and a movie. I love movies. But um, as far as like binge watching TV goes, the more I started to live a life that I personally 
really enjoy and that match my values and that really make me feel like it's me I'm, I'm living my life fully to who i'm being then the less i feel like i have to live and watch another person's life you know so start figuring out what aspects of your life you would have as what would be reality tv and if it's not reality tv then at least understand that like you're the main character of your own story so at the very least you should be entertaining yourself you know what i'm saying Calling all new emerging content creators in BC and Alberta. In case you haven't heard of StoryHive, they've been supporting storytellers in Western Canada since 2013. This year, they're celebrating their 10th anniversary with their biggest edition yet. The StoryHive Anniversary Documentary Edition is funding 80 short documentaries on any local story you're passionate about. You can get $20,000 in production funding training and mentorship and distribution on telus optic tv and stream plus if you live in bc or alberta and you have an idea for a short documentary now is the time to send in your pitch send in your application by february 28 at storyhive.com apply your story your narrative all right the moment you've all been waiting for the one and only nitin Bhatia's in the mix how you doing today my man good good how are you bud i am doing fantastic man i'm just gonna you know go ahead and uh look at the bio the the book of the bio that you sent me and finish it off but as i was saying like right in the beginning of the show here we are very pleased to have nitin with us you know someone who's been practicing law for over a decade has built up his law firm from you know four employees all the way upwards of 40 plus now and, you know, additionally, Nitin is intricately involved in matters related to business purchases, sale transactions, having a large focus on franchise-related purchases and sales. Um, Nitin is also involved in collaborating with our team, uh, our team being uh, his law firm, uh, on a variety of litigation, family, and personal estate-related matters for clients within Alberta. And the crazy thing is, I didn't even realize this about you, man, but when I was reading your bio, you were a past executive with the Ma the Manaw Seva Society and the Edmonton Valley Zoo Development Society. Yeah. So re really cool to see the, the involvement you were in. And um, I just want us to be aware of, like, you know, some of the topics in which we're going to get right into, man, is just from your perspective, what and where did it stem from as far as growth goes? Like, when you began practicing as a lawyer... Mm -hmm was the intention in the beginning to have that large of a size of a firm. And I, I'd like for you to kind of share the, the growth process of like what it needed to take to build that big. Well, yeah, no, I, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big question, I guess. There, I, we, um, when I started practicing law, I was, um, uh, I was not 100% sure if I even wanted to do it, to be honest. Um, I, uh, I had my heart set more on business uh, ideas, but at the same time, I had gotten the education and I said, you know, I want to see where this goes. Um, so I had a chance to article at a nice uh, law firm in, in town, worked with some great people, but I was doing a lot of uh, uh, areas of law that uh, not, none of it was all that in interesting to me. I wasn't finding that much joy out of it. And um, I was looking for uh, an answer, wh whether um, whether I made the wrong choice or, or what I needed to do. And um, uh, there was definitely a lot of discussions with the people around me to say, you know, maybe it's time to 
uh, go and do something different and, and maybe go get into the world of business. Uh, I, uh, I had a few opportunities available and um, around the same time, a, a, a more senior lawyer in town that I had gotten to know quite well uh, decided that he was going to branch out from a firm he was working at to start his own thing. And um, we had breakfast and he started talking to me and he said, you know, um, I'm a macro level guy, but I need someone who's going to hustle and, and help me with the macro, but more so the micro uh, someone who wants to take on the business challenges and the challenges of actually growing a business. And um, that just it rung to me different. I was like, this sounds like a, a challenge I want to take and I want to try. And I was in the middle of, I was getting married in a couple of months and I had a bunch of other things going on. And I said, you know, now or never sort of thing, let's, let's, let's give this a shot. And, uh, and so we went ahead with the opening our firm and uh, uh, started with just two lawyers and two assistants. And, and now we're blessed to be at uh, 18 lawyers and uh, 22 assistants. So we're, we're at 40 strong right now. And yeah, like talk about scale, man. And like, that's the thing, right? You came from this background where I know it's going to be pretty interesting for our audiences because a lot of times people will get into a practice such as law and they might be thinking, do I run my own firm or do I get into uh, getting some experience after articling, working for a firm and, and, and just just experience overall? You know how people say that, especially yeah. in our Indian community? It's like, oh, jockey experience, Lalo. Like, <laughs> yeah. go, go and get some experience yeah. before you run your own thing. Yeah. So like in and around marriage, like after you were preparing for that and probably had more reasons to not do it than doing it. Yeah. What would you say after going through those many years, Nitin, like after the process, if someone's thinking this now, yeah. what are some things you think they need to be aware of as far as like the type of person they would need to be yeah. to run their own law firm practice or even any practice, especially accountants might feel the same way as opposed to just going and working their way up as partner in a firm? So first of all, I, I would probably steer most people away from it um, only because it's probably too early in their career. I had the benefit of having a, a seasoned lawyer coming on board with me. I wasn't opening this thing by myself. So I had someone that I could rely on for actual experience when we talk about experience. So someone who could actually check what I'm doing and make sure I'm doing it right. Um, in terms of opening a business, you know, anyone can go and start a business, but but law and most professional services, it, it, that's exactly that. It's professional services. So to, to market yourself as a professional, you should have the experience level to say, okay, I actually know how to do this not that I'm learning how to do this on the fly right so um so yeah I would steer most people away unless they also found themselves in a similar situation where they had some experienced people coming in to help them um but if they are going to take that bold step even if they do it by themselves mm -hmm. that's just important to be really um organized you got to organize uh, a plan you've got a goal set you've got to have uh clear uh you know, a clear understanding of where you want to take things. Otherwise, you just run around in circles and make a lot of bad decisions doing it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it, it goes down to, I know, a topic we want to bring up uh, later on, which we could perhaps get a little bit into right now, but it's made me a lot more clear on the decisions I need to personally make in my life when I realize that there's something I'm not going to want to do in three years. Mm -hmm. And it's three years because like long enough, but short enough to really see what you should be doing yeah. during your actual time you're spending on things, whether it's work-related or professional. But it's like that concept of having those long-term goals in mind and then thinking whatever it is you're doing right now, is it serving that, right? 
Yeah, like I mean, you know, it's a little cliche, but but the one year, three year, five year plan that that is something that I I actually believe in. I I try to stay true to it, and uh, it's important to goal set. It's important to say, okay, I've got this plan for whatever I want things to be in one year, where I want things to be at three and five, and it's important to check yourself against those goals. If you set clear goals, then when you make any major decision, you can at least come back and compare it to the goal. If I make this big decision, is it taking me closer or further away? And if it's taking me further away, I should at least be consciously aware of the fact that it's taking me further away and that I'm choosing to go away from that goal. Because, you know, you can always change your goals, right? You don't have to have them set in stone, but you should at least be aware that the decision making you're, you're, you're doing right now is, uh, is not coming from an area of confusion or, or cloudiness. So then if we take that, concept and now we attach it to you having 40 plus associates in your firm at what point when you were with your partner did you start realizing that you want to scale it that big because i i don't know like from my perspective i think that's pretty big i don't know how you look at it because you could have easily perhaps maybe had five to ten employees could have just been youtube boutique style mom and pop-esque let's just run it this way this is how we want to do it but how did that conversation go especially when you're involving a partner and it's like hey like let, let's make it this big because I'm sure that didn't just happen on its own, right? Yeah, if you had asked me when we started whether we're going to get to um, 18 lawyers and uh, uh, 22 staff, so, uh, I probably would have been like, whoa, that's going to take a long time. Uh, I I, uh, I don't think that was the goal necessarily. Uh, I won't name the firms, but there were a couple of firms in Edmonton that I compared ourselves to. And I said, one day I'd like to be where they're at. Um, and I'm proud to say that that's exactly where we are today. I, the size-wise and, and generally um, what we're doing in the industry right now. So you believe it, it's actually healthy then to yes. like look at what the competition's doing. You know how people feel about that sometimes? That's right. My partner, Arun Shori, uh, he, uh, he's a visionary. He's a macro-level guy. Uh, he's the one that was responsible to get the lease or the, the property all sorted out for our first office. And he took space that could fill f- probably 30 people. And I walked in there after I'd already shook his hand, so I couldn't even back out of the deal anymore. And I looked around and I said, uh, "This is a lot of space for four people." Yeah. Uh, but he knew. He he. That was you know maybe he set his own one three five year goal, but he knew. And so uh, you know I I kind of uh, went along for the ride and realized that you know we're gonna have to figure figure out uh, figure out a way to make this space work for us uh, and also to pay for it, which means we had to grow. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, man, because that, that's very relatable in my early stages of planning my martial arts dojo in mm-hmm. my academy is I'm literally conflicting with the idea of do I do 2,500 square feet or do I go all in 4,000 plus square feet and and already have plans in place to, to have it expand. And I think that's every like aspiring or, or existing business owner struggle yeah. where it's like, what, like when is like an ideal time to scale, especially when you lock yourselves in leases for five to 10 years, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, you got to bet on yourself. Um, you know, you have to have some belief in what you're doing. If you If you're shook right from the start, then you should really sit back and think about what you want to do before you do it. But but you know, once you once you uh, pull the band-aid off on, on some of those big decisions, then you know if you got confidence in yourself and you know you're good at what you do, um, I, I think it's it's a safe bet. 
No, I agree, man. That's so true. I've uh, that's actually my theme going into twenty twenty three is bet on yourself. I've actually been telling myself that a lot, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit later with some things that I know you're you're interested in having me open up about. The man looks great, by the way. Like if you get the chance to look at this guy, you might mistake him for Shahrukh Khan. That's oh, yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, I want to get right into it, Nitin, and this is something that I find is is important for, um, you know, when you when you look at people who are millennials or, or getting into law in the first place, you know, there's some there's some tips you wanted to provide and share on, on what they need to be aware of when they go into um, practicing law. And I want us to go into a little bit of tips that you would have for younger lawyers, especially with some changes that are happening within the industry and um, just being aware of like what type of law it'd be best for them to focus on based off of other personal matters that they're going to balance in their life. Well, I, I mean, it's it, there's so many things happening in our world right now in terms of how uh, people wish to work, the style of work, um, along with the changes in tech. I mean, I can't even uh, begin to try and explain how things like the ch- chat GPT works and, and all that and how it's going to impact our field. Heard about that. But, um, but there is a lot going on. So you see people that have uh, become accustomed and acclimatized to work from home, uh, being anywhere in the world and and being able to still provide their professional advice, uh, you're seeing how people are able to reduce the amount of time spent on something using artificial intelligence. I think what I would say first and foremost to all the uh, call it the millennials or the the Gen Zen or you know the the folks yeah. that are in law school right now are thinking about is stay on top of all of these changes, learn tech, learn it well and see how you can use it as an advantage in the field. Um, law is a bit of an archaic field. Uh, we are, uh, uh, as lawyers, uh, very used to the concept of precedent, even in how we want to operate businesses. And uh, it takes a long time to see real change in our field in terms of how people adapt to um, to new tech. Uh, if you can be on the forefront of it and you can understand it, well, you're going to have a competitive advantage to uh, a lot of people that just refuse to adapt. I'm glad you mentioned that, right? Because I think that adds another layer of knowledge that one is needing to expose themselves to. Yeah. And are there any sources, articles, books that you would um, prefer someone studies or looks into based off your resources beyond what law school may be teaching people right now? Because like we're we're in the midst of this shift. I have to give a shout out to uh, our our mutual friend Sean Canungo, but if you just follow him, you, yeah. <laughs> you can pretty much learn about anything uh, that's going on in the tech world. And you could get uh, caught up real yeah. fast. Yeah, uh, no, you know, I um, I don't know. I um, to be honest, I, I'm probably one of those archaic lawyers. Like I I pick up stuff um, a little bit after some of the younger guys in our office do. And they kind of fill me in. So they're actually my go-to resource. So they do that reading and they do that learning and then they, they let me know. And I try to pick up what I can on it. But this is this is scary. I, I'm 40 years old. Um, by no means am I old in, in the workforce. I, I'd be considered one of the younger guys. Well, especially when you have like another 25 years of work Absolutely. you could possibly put into, right? But there is a night and day difference in my understanding of tech between uh, between me and a thirty year old in our office, um, and uh, and that difference is 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 the competitive advantage that the younger guys have. And you know what? That kind of a segue because it makes me realize that there's certain biases some people may have depending on who's in the who's in the courtroom, 
yeah. right? Or it could be, and, and I'm going to sound very um, biased here. It's not my own personal opinion or perspective, but we live in a world where if one person looks more like another, if we're the same color of skin, if we're the same gender, yeah. if we have the same values, how much more likely am I now to be in favor of, of whatever position you're in, mm-hmm. you know? And I can't imagine what that could be like as a lawyer, like yeah. as someone that you're practicing with or with yeah. whomever you're defending or whatever case you're building towards. I just want to know from your perspective, like even from your own case, like being someone who stereotypically is South Asian male, middle-aged, how much weight does that carry as far as respect goes inside of the courtroom? So I'd say, um, you know, I, I don't go to the court too often anymore. But uh, when I first started my career, it was probably a combination of being young and South Asian. Uh, I think both worked against me. Um, like they didn't work in your favor? No. Th- that was 16 years ago, too. Lots has changed since then. Um, 16 years is a long time, uh, or maybe less than 16. But um, it's it's a long time, and change has happened. So... Uh, it was not uncommon to walk into the courtroom and look around and see nobody that looks like you, right? Um, and the thing is that shouldn't that shouldn't matter, but it does, right? It matters to you to some degree because you're wondering whether anybody's judging you or treating you differently because you're the different one. But it also matters to your client, right? The confidence your client has in you comes somewhat from the fact that they feel that you as the lawyer, the representative, is getting the same respect as anybody else would, mm. right? So you got to take a look at it from the client's perspective. If, you're, if you walk into a courtroom, um, and let's say you're an East Indian man, let's say, or a woman, and you moved here only a couple of years ago, let's say you struggle a little bit with English in the way it's spoken over here, and you're facing a case, you're facing something that really matters to your life, and you walk into a courtroom and you look around, and the prosecutor is an old white male, the t- the typical one that you would see on TV. You look at the judge. The judge is an old white male. The clerk is an old white individual. And almost the rest of the lawyers in this room are all older white male or women. And you look around and you say, how can I possibly get justice here? Is, is anyone here going to actually understand anything about my case because everything in law is contextual right like you talk about it's all about the circumstances of that case and so i'm not saying that there's that the judgment is going to be wrong or that that you're going to you're going to have a biased judge but your own internal feeling when you walk in there is i don't think i'm going to get straight justice here I, my color my accent is going to work against me you think you're working against a grain at that point that's right so like in 16 years things have changed i just so you know pr- i'm very proud of this uh, the chief uh, justice of alberta the most uh, newly appointed chief justice of alberta is uh, uh the honorable uh, rithu kuller uh east indian woman uh, is now the Chief Justice of the province of Alberta. That's amazing. The, it, just months ago, Justice Jamal became appointed to the Supreme Court of Canada. The first, uh, as far as I know, the first uh, individual on the on the Supreme Court that is of color. And roots to Edmonton. He, act, I believe he went to Ross Shepherd High School. That's amazing. So, so the thing is, is 
change is happening for us to say it's not happening would be false and that's what i'm wondering right like is this like a however way you want to look at it like this took too long or this is finally someone who's coming from that perspective being like i'm going to be the first to do it i'm going to take a stand and and uh and and because i'm the first one to do it i could make it happen now no it's way too long yeah Uh, way too long and um uh i think that if you spoke to lawyers who were practicing here in the 70s and 80s that come from the South Asian community, they would tell you stories that you wouldn't believe, right? I faced a few things, but they would tell you stories you wouldn't even believe in terms of um, the disrespect they'd face, even in open court. And um, and so things have changed, of course, like social media, uh, the the woke culture as a whole in, in, in our world today, the fact that um, uh, more rights are being protected and recognized, diversity is being celebrated and not uh, uh, pushed under a rug. These are all reasons for why we're starting to see the change and you're seeing talented individuals um, get to the good places and higher places and it doesn't seem like it's just because they're trying to check mark a, a diversity box the, these people have real resumes they've yeah. they've they've worked and they've worked and they and care they got somewhere yeah, yeah they, they're like real life superheroes you know and, that's right uh, that's why I'm, I'm curious to know like imagine if you put yourself in the shoes Nitin of like let's say a South Asian female mm-hmm who wants to practice law and has so much of social justice in their mind of wanting to be a part of making a change. Yeah. And and I think let's face it, like that's perhaps, correct me if I'm wrong, the reason why a lot of people become lawyers in the first place. Yeah. Right? The good ones. Yeah. Like outside <laughs> like there's good ones, yeah. there's ones who just say they want to do it for money, but yeah. there's legitimate people who want to make that change. Mm-hmm. If you are, let's just say, a female lawyer who graduated out of the practice and you're ready to start articling now. What advice would you give them to really make a name for themselves and market themselves the right way for them to actually make a big social impact yeah. for them, their community, and their future clientele? Well, I want to first say I could never put myself in those shoes. Yeah. Um, and it would be wrong for me to assume I know what they go through. Um, I think uh, I think women in professional services as a whole uh, are dealt an unfair card a lot of times, not because... I'm not talking about um, favoritism and stuff like that. There's just n- certain issues that exist in our field that affect f- their career differently. And it, it's unfair. Uh, I'm not for it, but I also some of it is not within anyone's control. So, for example, uh, the field of law, if you're going into private practice, um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on business development, on developing your own clientele, um, creating that... Uh, rapport with your clients and uh, you know a young female lawyer is probably 28 or 29 when they're out of law school and you know if they decide to get married and decide to have children that happens most likely in the mid 30s so they do everything right they work hard they're frankly better than most male (laughs) lawyers they uh, because like you know they they, uh, they do everything right and they also know that some of the cards have been stacked against them. So they, they really push. They fight and they, for they, they focus and, and they, they do well. And But the issue is that somewhere down the line, they dis, they get married, they have children. And, uh, you know, you take a year off or two years off from work and you're going to lose two years of business development. You're going to likely lose some continuity with your clients. It's completely unfair. There's no other way to explain that. Um, and what's happening is you come back to, uh, if you come back to private practice, you start to feel like 
uh, you have to start all over again. So you're asking how like how we could change that. I mean, there's so many ideas that float out there, but I don't know how many people are actively implementing it. Uh, I know what I think would be great is is to create some methodology in which um, there can be continuity hmm. in the relationship with, with clients, that firms need to take an active step to let the clients know that the lawyers that are managing the file in that person's absence are are temporary on that file, that, that you know, like their relationship, they recognize and respect that relationship that exists with the lawyer they were working with. Um, those are important steps that can be taken, but again, I can't begin to be the like I'm I, the wrong person to ask uh, what their experience is like because I can't even uh, I, I I'm not in those shoes. Um, the other thing too is is that there's a problem if you know we're on we're I'm I'm mindful of the network we're on right now. Um, this is speaking largely to a South Asian audience, and uh, I'd be remiss to not bring this up, but but. Uh, our community can sometimes be very guilty of treating female lawyers differently than male lawyers. May as well say it, and again, it, it, it is what it is. But um, in what sense do you uh, feel? In like... the sense that there, there seems to be sometimes a, a situation where, and not always, but you know, you see it um, that there are clients out there that they will take advice from a lawyer, a female lawyer. And then somehow, like if, if somehow they're looking for an, a male lawyer to walk into the room to verify it. Mm. Again, completely wrong to think that way. But it like happens. Stemming and, and, from a cultural perspective. That and so you know, this was past. a conversation I had with a female lawyer mm. uh, today, in anticipation of coming to the radio today. And this was an anecdote, anecdotal that she was sharing with me, uh, saying that she feels that that seems to continue to happen even. And it's not, the thing is, it's not just a particular type of crowd. It's not like it's a specific age segment and all that. It's it's something that's somehow become ingrained in in culture. But the crazy thing is, it's not just South Asian culture. This is overall, and this is, see, the, the male experience is different. South Asian males feel the same way when it's a comparable between them and what I was describing earlier, a middle-aged white man with slick like slick gray hair yeah. uh, with a nice suit and a firm handshake what you see on TV mm-hmm. right they they feel like if that person's in the room the client is going to look to them for the the nod that this is the right advice there's like and a superiority complex in terms of some yes it, it's 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 bizarre because when you've hired a lawyer you tr- you should trust their advice right Very like if, if if they're they're working for you so i'm not again not saying this happens all the time but you know this experience was shared to me today by by um, uh, one of my colleagues, so so I know it exists. I know, it, and how we fix it means that coming back to exactly what we were just talking about is what does the courtroom look like when the courtroom starts showing that a, a East Indian woman is the chief justice of a, a province of Alberta? When t- when movies start to reflect that, when um, the newspaper starts to paint these things in the right light people's minds will also start changing when they start to become more familiar with it and they they realize that oh yeah like this is this is our new world we have to get get out of that old thinking so and I'm really glad you're you're willing enough to share this, Nathan, because it, it starts with having the conversation and creating awareness around it in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Like if anyone's listening to this and they might feel guilty of realizing they do that, it stops right there, right? If someone is in that profession, they work so hard to have this um, I, I, 
sense of entitlement is not the word, but this sense of pride and respect in what they know to be able to be sitting in that room in the first place to be able to defend yeah. uh, their statement. That's right. Right? And it's once again, it's just paying close attention to how you're looking at somebody and, and, and what it is that they're saying. This is why, not to go off on a tangent, I actually respect why, and there's a huge debate around this, right? Why companies are so insistent on having DEI conversations, diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. right? And it's crazy, man. There's actually some people that say, oh, the company's just doing this because they, they're just jumping the bandwagon. When I hear that, it's sad. It's like, well, what do you mean? Like, here's a company, here's, you know, someone taking a position to stand and fight for everyone being treated equally. Mm-hmm. And when people shine it in that light, it's, uh, man, it's blasphemous to say the least. I think one of the biggest issues with diversity is um, is that it's very easy for people to stand up and start pushing back on it by saying, oh, the company just wants to get brownie points with this community. And you know what? Even if that's the case, so be it. I'll take it. <laughs> like, like, it, like, give a give um, the platform to uh, to these people too to shine. Right? Let our community shine just like anybody else uh, did in the past. Right? And don't get me wrong. You know, the blame isn't on white people. The blame is on society. Society has created a lot of this. It ultimately, even amongst white people, the same thing happened. There was a time when Italians were treated. The, uh, one way there's a time when uh, ukrainians were treated one way there you know in fact there's still situations yeah, going look at on this that. right now so so when you come out and uh and uh talk about diversity you have to talk about diversity in every aspect you're talking about diversity in terms of sexual orientation you're talking about diversity in in the sense of color female male see uh you know we kind of skipped we glanced past it but but again coming back to the male and female thing you know Law schools used to have 10 to 20 percent uh, female population. In today's date, it's at 52 to 54 percent. There's oh, more wow. women in law school than men, right? So it's not even about a majority or minority thing. It's literally about social change. It's about the way of thinking, right? Why you can't, uh, why why this can't be spread across the board is it's unfortunate, but you know. When we're talking about diversity, we everybody should be aware of it. Everybody should try their best. Um, and you know, we're going to fail along the way as organizations. Um, we're going to learn from it, and we're going to strive to do better. And, and that's all we can do. And, and I'm I fully am responsible for my own firm. I uh, uh, we want to improve in all areas. You know, one area we got clicked is fine. Is that we definitely have a wide range of ethnic minorities. Um, but there are other areas that still need to be filled, and we're we're working on it. And it's not that we're taking a bad candidate over a good candidate. There's good candidates that meet the diversity criteria, just there, as there are bad ones that you don't want to hire. So, and I I wonder how much that shines through to how diverse your clientele is, because something that I'm curious about, because I'm hearing this now, Nitin, in the development of me wanting to run my own gym. Is like can he to jake south side the ja they're gonna follow you, right? Like go to the south side, you're gonna capture the Indian market, you're gonna get all of the Indian families to go to you because you're Indian too. Yeah, like, yeah, like there's that, yeah. right? But I'm curious, man, like from your perspective, you're also, you know, South Asian descent, you're 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 forty now, you have great connections with the Indian community, but like 
I'm curious to know if like that mindset helps in the development of being successful at what you're doing by just niching down on your own people because that was a big thing for our parents generation right let's set up shop let's go to bajar let's go to the punjab spice market let's open up there we're going to get all the apne loka to come it's going to be good but like i'll give you an example my parents they run their clinic they they they're the outliers they're like yeah. you know what let's go to the west side mm-hmm. like let's live there let's let's mix ourselves and our kids up with yeah. a diverse set of people let's actually put our business in the west end yeah. and let's not just capitalize on having whoever we um identify ourselves as as only having that same type of clientele how do you feel about that well i i think that one should use their competitive advantages to their advantage so i mean if you speak to a specific community um where they feel comfortable with you that should make up a part of your market base for sure but should you seek to be exclusive to a specific market base obviously not i think just like we're talking about diversity and inclusion yeah. you're not trying to exclude any particular type of clientele but but i think the other uh uh the other focus should be is is um i don't i personally don't see why we don't why why there are people out there that sometimes feel like they want to avoid their own community as though somehow by by uh not being involved in their community they're somehow are achieving to different or better heights when i don't see that uh to the case i i have to tie it back to law cuz that's what i do right mm-hmm. but i mean you, you go through the city of edmonton right now you look at who the players are who are doing who are doing active business here who are succeeding in in business and all that one lots of communities are but tell me a, another community right now that is as um visible in terms of the amount of activities they're doing than south asian as a whole so true. Uh, and i and i have to include this isn't just east indian or pakistani like we're, i'm going as far as to say like south korean and like like asian in general you see <laughs> the you see what's going on but businesses are generally being run and and new businesses are being created by these communities which is good for everybody you know why i laugh so i was talking uh how do i feel like i i can't recall what this is with i hope i don't butcher this but i was getting a workout in with uh, a friend of mine nav tucker right so nav and i were working out and he's like it just blows my mind when people ask You know, why do I see all you brown people rolling up in these Beamers and Mercedes <laughs> and and all y'all got these fancy cars and this mm. nice Gaddia, right? Mm. Like he was saying that. And he goes, "Let me tell you one thing, man. We have it cuz we work flipping hard." Yeah. Like we come here and like we go from nothing and we turn into something. Or at least our parents were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I know I know it too. You're I like you're, you're like man all these young bucks with their parents Gaddis. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other topic, yeah, right? Yeah. But but you're right, man. Like you know, we we come here and we 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 work hard and we we put our time in, you know. Absolutely, but you know, it's again, it's 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 not an us versus them thing, in my opinion. But I know what you mean like it. I think in general, uh, uh, first generation kids in uh, in Canada, um, they kind of, they they learn a lot from what their parents had to go through. and uh and you see the result you see that their the hard work translates on it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the next gen though yeah, so for, we gen. we we see what happens with the first gen but but I'm really curious about what it's going to be like for the next right um especially to some degree a lot of them coming from very privileged backgrounds um their their parents ended up 
doing quite well. Um, so ensuring that they get grounded, that they do things the right way and they learn the value of hard work is going to be very important. You know that concept, and we're going to have to go to break soon here, but I just want to plant the seed in your head of the concept of uh, your your parents are going to give you what they feel like they didn't have. Yeah. You know, and I don't know how much of that you felt like you had, but talking about like that generational, you know, shift, what do you feel like is going to change within your own family if you're willing to share? You know, because you're raising a beautiful yeah. family of your own. What are some things you're noticing you're doing for your kids to pave the way for them that maybe it's a combination of what your parents did do, but you're kind of now putting them in a in maybe a direction that is maybe shifted slightly, you know, 10 degrees left or right away from how you were carved out yeah. that's uh, going to be different? You know, I I think what it is, is like my parents gave us so many opportunities. Um, but obviously, the biggest thing they gave us was valuing hard work. We watched them do it. Uh, I watched my dad build up a practice. Uh, I watched my mom work a job, raise us, and help in my dad's practice. It, you don't... You, 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 these are things you just learn, right? But uh, Watching. You, it's not like someone sits there and says, this is what you do. So you watch that. So that's the biggest thing they gave us. But then... Um, when we turn around and say, okay, what can we show our kids? It's it's challenging. I don't know. I don't even know if we're doing a good job. I mean, I'm, I, we're doing a good job of raising our children, giving them what they need. But I don't know if we're doing the best job of teaching them the value of hard work. I mean, my kids are pretty young still, but um, it's something that I strive to make sure happens. Um, there's a lot of distractions Right. Lots, yeah. There's a lot of distractions that are going to make it challenging for sure. But um, but I think uh, I think that the way to maybe do it is to ensure that uh, they are grateful for, for what they have and uh, and they learn about the fact that there are people that don't have this the same is, opportunity. This is so off topic, but so on topic. But what do you think of throwing an iPad in front of a kid's face just <laughs> to entertain them? It's uh, it's challenging to uh, <laughs> it, it's it, for an outside a person that doesn't have children, it, it they they probably sometimes think it's just very bizarre, but I like, get so mad when I see that. Yeah. But you're right; it's but, from a perspective of me not having a kid. Yeah, but I can tell you, um, like you know, there are times when when you're you're looking for a screen to put like it's <laughs> right, like it, it happens. Um, is it wrong? Is it right? Who knows? But at the same time, we were talking about being about tech advancement and we're talking about uh, the need to be able to be uh, understand all these things and be on top of it. And it's it's actually amazing to watch uh, how quickly my kids can <laughs> can use a touchscreen and get to what they need to. Um, so so there's probably some uh, advantages coming out of there, but. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm going to reserve judgment on it because I'm. I'm a parent too. Uh, you, you know, parents do what works. Yeah. And uh, uh, that being said, I, it's so important for them to still experience the world. The last thing you want, and we joke about it because we're thinking of taking our kids to uh, to Paris this year. And I and I, I would be snickering if I saw them on an iPad when we're on top of the Eiffel Tower. But I, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> There's a time and place, right? Yeah. I love it, man. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. We got news with Saprit coming up pretty soon. So uh, I, uh, you know, speaking of goals, speaking of just, you know, being aware, Nitin and I were talking about this off air. Um, and we talked a little bit about on the show, but talk about macro goals and you know, this is the first time I'm going to be sharing this on air live. And I feel like I'm comfortable enough to do so because I'm in a very transitional phase of my life. And like Nitin said, you know, 
earlier in our show, we we need to be aware of the decisions we're making and what we're doing with our time based off of goals we're setting for ourselves in our late future. You know, when we're right. thinking two, three years down the road. And when I think about my life two, three years down the road, I think about, of course, doing more of this, being more on the radio, being more out there on the podcast, you know, putting myself out there. But on top of that, um, I think of running my own academy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I keep dropping hints and saying that and then running my own martial arts studio in the mix of, you know, offering a, a, a safe space for people to stay fit and be able to look after their health and make martial arts more inclusive. And I want to take some credit. I, uh, <laughs> uh, when you were uh, personally training me, how many times did I say, "Let's you got to get something going. You got to get something going on your own. So, Man, uh, <laughs> but I'm so glad you said that, brother, because like no word of a lie, right? Yeah. Like jokes aside, who you surround yourself around and the type of clientele that wants to work with you and the type of conversations you have make you think this way. And I'm just going to say to my audience, I'm quitting my day job. Yeah, that's you huge. Know? That's huge. I'm um, taking this, this cushiony... Um, really beneficial career that has allowed me to shape who I am as a leader and manager, leading a team of trainers, and I'm I'm getting rid of it. Mm -hmm. And man, to the point where I'm not going to lie to you, and I'll share this to the audience, when I had to tell my director, I cried. Like, it it got me emotional. Just in terms of mainly the respect I have for him and the company and, and everything that Good Life gave me, but then when I started to realize that I'm only putting 80% of my energy into this and I'm also only putting 80% of my dreams outside of this mm-hmm. because I'm getting so burnt out. Yeah. Like there's so much that I'm mm-hmm. serving in different channels. Yeah. How is me now being doing the same thing in a commercial setting yeah. in fitness helping me build my own gym? Well, you, you uh, have to tie this back to our conversation earlier in today's show. You... Um, it's about goal setting, right? You, you've you set a goal that you want to do something and then you have to start comparing your decisions against it. So your decision to continue on with that career while it would have been fruitful um, would take you further away from this goal that you've been talking about since the minute I met you, which is to one day have your own place and to have a blend where you're doing training but you're also doing the, the martial arts thing and, you know, um, it's it's no secret to anyone who knows you about how passionate you are about these uh, these areas and uh, and your jiu-jitsu uh, competitions and all that you do. So I, in my opinion, you you this is the right time. You're at the right age. Um, you've developed that maturity from a, a leadership perspective that you you already know how to manage people. Um, you've also got a good reputation amongst people in the community in terms of fitness. And uh, leadership, so so blend those skills together. You got an opportunity. You should do it. And I'm glad you are. Thank you, man. No, genuinely, thank you. That's like that for me is huge, man. Because you know, it's similar to what you said. It's funny how maybe other people might look at that as pressure, but and I even like looked at it like that when you said like I was right around to getting married, and then I'm building my own law practice. Okay, now's the time to do it. Better yeah. now than never. Yeah, I feel the same way now, and like I think about planning my personal life and future and. You know, when, when I would like to, you know, invest in, in a relationship fully and get married and, and have kids. And now I think, like, Kenny, the clock's ticking. Yeah. And when I have kids, man, you know how badly I want to be able to tell them that they can do whatever they want in their life? Like, chase your dream. Yeah. And if they go to me and they say, Dad, did you? Mm-hmm. Like, did you go all in? Yeah. 
And if I had to tell him, you know what? I just tried everything, but I did a little bit of everything. I can't live with that, man. Yeah, yeah. This is my moment yeah. to quit my day job, world championship games in five months, put all of my attention and energy into building my name as an athlete yeah. because I'm not always going to afford the ability to do that. Yeah. And now's that transitional period of time to do that while I'm training other clients, while I'm having a community supporting my back to then eventually be able to find a gym to do this for everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, you know what's crazy, man, is like, Maybe to a degree we've had these conversations when I say if you ask me, I feel like you already have, is like you've asked me what like what what are you waiting for? Yeah. Like like and, yeah. and you knew I was, I'll be honest, I was waiting for promotion, I wanted more experience and money. Yeah. But now when I realize that like I don't need that, it's me not being scared anymore to do it. Yeah. And to but me, what's really important is you built a foundation and, and this is something you and I were talking about off the air too, but but you built a foundation that allows you to take these risks without it being considered uh, ridiculous and, and p- putting you in a spot where you're unable to feed yourself or, or your future family, right? That's important. Um, it, it, it's good to dream. It's good to, uh, it's good to chase those dreams. But it's also good to make sure that you're a contributing member of society and that you're, you're able to look after yourself if, if things go the other way. And, and the good news for you is that you've built that um, for yourself, you have that foundation. You have a fallback plan. You don't want to have to rely on it, but you at least have one. In, in today's world, you're seeing there's a lot of people that just aren't there. They they uh, they they don't have a plan. Uh, they don't have a backup plan. And um, and so I'm glad to see that. You know, obviously there's a big age discrepancy between you and I, but I'm glad to see where you're taking this. I think I think you'll do really well. Thanks, man. That's uh, that's something I want to kind of pick your brain about because. I think you'd be honest with me if you felt like I was just in dreamland, right? And you're not afraid to tell people like, hey, man, like, you got a good right now. Like, you weigh out the opportunity cost if you do this. Like, you're not someone, especially as a practicing lawyer, to just give fluff and tell someone to do it. Especially, I I love it because there's a... There's a little bit of that difference between you and I, but you come with that experience Mm -hmm. and you come with that realism because I'm a part of the, the age gap uh, sorry, the age group of people that go chase your dreams, <laughs> chase your passions, right? And like go out there and like you could do anything based off what you're passionate about. Yeah. But you do come from that like cloth of well, I mean, be realistic and contribute yeah. to society, and yeah. and also this the reasons you got in the law. Correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, is not because of passion, right? So where does someone find that balance of like? Yeah, like, do what you love, no problem. If you can make money off of it, great. You know I'm a big believer in that. That's what I'm about to do. But at what point does someone need to be real with themselves and go, okay, I've tried this, and this is what trying, like, X, Y, Z looks like. And if it doesn't go, I need to go back to contributing. See, I think that the key word to land on is, is try, right? You actually have to try, right? Anyone can go and sit there and say, oh, I'm going to become an actor, but if they do nothing to do that, if they don't go to auditions, if they don't go uh, put in the work, potentially take acting lessons, do all that, mm, they're pr- you know you hear stories about that odd person that was found at a cafe and they're like, oh, you're you're going to be Spider Man, <laughs> but like that's not a that's not a normal story that doesn't just happen to, normally, right? And and the thing is, this is all tied in. We talked about this, but like it ties into the the changes in this world today, right? Is social media gives glimpses into lives of people. So you go on Instagram, you go on Facebook, you go on these things, you see a 10-second glimpse of someone's life, and it's going to be the 10 best seconds of their day, (laughs) right? 
That doesn't mean that that's how like life is. That same individual that might be trying to become an influencer or anything else, good for them, good that they're trying, but they're probably still filling their day with tasks that they have to get done. Again, we talk about contributing to society. Like some of these people are mothers raising children. Some of these people are are fathers raising children. Some of these people are um are have other businesses going on or they work a job to pay the bills. So so it's good to be passionate. It's good to chase your dreams, but um, but when we when I talk about being practical, I'm not saying practical. Being practical doesn't mean to just shut that side of your life off and focus on making money. But being practical means that you have to. You should accept that there's going to be a lot of hard work in, involved. And and you know, I'm not necessarily the best person to talk about how how to be successful in those those areas i i I don't do that right like i Mm. i've worked hard in my field and it worked for me um but uh if but i think there when you talk about the generational gap i i think that there is uh definitely a lot of influence happening through social media on um on people that are in that age group uh where there's being sold a life that doesn't exist and it's sad because i think that it takes a long time for some people to learn that that's actually not the case and you get you gain experience for putting time into something yeah. and when you say that man it's scary because i hire and work with a lot of 20 year olds right yeah. and um don't get me wrong this isn't all of them but there are some that are trying to have a fine balance between um working hard and hardly working right <laughs> and it's it's the sense of like i i i do need to continuously work at least 40 hours a week to get some sort of momentum going mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get spoon fed things to me all the time yeah. right so it's just recognizing that back to our point about trying like you have to put that effort into yeah. whatever it is that that, that you want to have come out of something that's why even for me right now I'm about to go in my trying phase mm-hmm. of here I have been dabbling different things juggling so many balls at once and every now and then a ball will fall yeah. I pick it back up but it's not the same ball anymore Yeah, right it's th- there's a little bit of cracks in it, yeah. right? But now, if I get rid of all of the balls and I keep one, and that's jujitsu. Yeah. Now, oh my goodness, I'm a, I'm through the roof excited. Yeah. To see what's gonna happen when I'm no longer juggling. I'm just yeah. holding this ball in my hand. Yeah. And it's gonna continuously as long as I hold it. It's not yeah. gonna fall. Yeah. It's gonna continue. But look at how much. Fa- again, we talk about the foundation. You've put a lot into it. Yeah. So you've built that foundation, and you have the confidence in that, right? Um. But yeah, I mean. All the power to the people that can hardly work and can still make make cash. Good for them, <laughs> yeah, right? I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on that. Like if you can if you figured it out, good for you. <laughs> no, it's so true, man. And that's the thing, right? There are ways in which you could do it. Good for people, mm. but um, I I really like the concept of what you call contribution because no matter how many hours you're working, no matter how many hours you're playing, whatever it is between the balance of work and life is like what dent do you want to make while you're on this earth yeah. right and it's like not everyone needs to be the next person that changes the world but i truly believe that if every person finds something to contribute to yeah that you feel like you now have a skill you have something you could teach somebody yeah. or you have something you could show someone that is going to make their life more valuable yeah. there's something to that man. yeah i i actually you, you hit it on the head that that the idea of being able to teach something to someone i it's a legacy thing right you're People might not have statues of you everywhere when you die. Um, but I'd like to think that, at least for myself, is the, the day I go, I'd like to think that uh, there are people out there who say, oh, you know what, like, I worked with him and, like, 
he was able to show me this or uh you know i worked with him and if nothing else that we just had we had a good time that like there's some good memories there right um you know i i look at a lot of people in my life like i i look at uh my my parents again as as great examples but my father re- retired a couple of years ago my mom and, fa- and dad ran uh this practice together and i'll bump into people all the time who still come to me and they're so impacted by uh by my parents who said that oh they were so great to work with oh your dad was a, a prof- like a pro and like through and through pro and your mom was just the the best person to greet us when we'd come in and lo- like make sure that like we got we we that we got um what's the best way to put it but but we felt like we were valued customers of the of your of their business and all that and that memory the fact that it's still with them and and the fact that they need feel the need to share that with me when I bump into them you know they left an impact there's a there's a legacy there so you know long after everyone's gone right my parents are gone when I'm gone um maybe you know people might not remember everything but you hope that there's at least something you leave behind and maybe maybe they're telling your children these stories one day and the children are feel the same way I feel right now right like Man, that's so true i love that the fact that you know that there's people out there that have so much respect towards your parents yeah. that they can say that to you as their kid to be like this is what your your mom and dad have done for me that's and right that's why man hopefully like you know what your kids one day they're gonna have this archived episode they're gonna be like yo <laughs> like you're gonna be like ah listen to this son <laughs> they're gonna be like see dad i made two million dollars sitting on my butt <laughs> releasing some weird video on yeah, you're like oh my goodness now that's that generational gap right there but you know hey if they do it good good for them like yeah. i i just laugh because i i uh I'm. I have no idea what the future holds for careers for for like. Yeah, I mean, we steered way off of this law topic, but I I gotta <laughs> say like like when people come to me and say, oh, by the time your kids are old enough to be lawyers, they can just walk into a firm because mm. it'll be it'll be nice and established and it'll be easy. And I keep saying I don't know if the field of law will even exist by then. Like, yeah. the, I mean, it'll exist, but not the way we see it right now. But people could have said the same thing to your parents too, right? Th- it's that's like it's right. All based off interest and where your parents get yeah. like where your kids are gonna want to navigate. But I'm going even one step further with whatever everything we see with tech and everything else going on. These traditional jobs may not exist in the way they did. So So you never know. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe space exploration is such a thing by then that all of our kids are focused on um, on becoming astronauts and and servicing that industry. Mars. Yeah, so so where I'm going with this is that like uh, the the future is gonna be wild, but I I'm excited. I, I do want to see like I obviously I want to I want to watch the whole game unfold, but it's gonna be really exciting to see uh, see it unfold and get a glimpse of it over the years here. That's full space exploration, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We're gonna see like SB LLB Mars coming 2043. Yeah. 1,000 alien employees. <laughs> That'll be clutch. Yeah. Well, you know what, man? It's always such a pleasure having you on that then we're gonna go to our last advertisement of the day and then we're gonna see how we can connect with you going forward, okay? Absolutely. Let's do it. 